morning, we encourage you to join uh, the folks at Children's Church as they make their way there. Um, I am certain we will have the full attention of the Spirit of God this morning as we uh, get into a really important area um, of the Christian life. So, uh, well, good morning. Um, one of the things that I enjoy most in life is a good fire. I love it. Um, one of those cold, wet days when it would like to be snowing, but instead it's raining. You know where I want to be? I want to be on my couch in my living room under a blanket with a book. And we've got a gas fireplace, so I just go over and hit that button and turn it on. I love that, right? Sit there, a little cup of coffee, a book, a blanket, and a fire. I'm in my one of my happy places, right? The other place is the opposite of that. It's a deer stand where you freeze to death. Um, but, um, but, but one of my happy places is right there in front of a fire with a book and a cup of coffee, right? Fire is a great gift, and it's an amazing blessing from God, amen? It keeps you warm, it cooks, uh, it nourishes your body, it heals, it purifies, it's beautiful, it provides a unifying place for people, it draws them together. Uh, you know, if, 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 you have a, if you have a party in the fall, and you light a fire, where are all the people huddled up around that fire, right? Why? Because it's, it's unifying. It draws people together. Uh, it's a good and a beautiful and a blessed gift from God. Amen? But there is another side to fire. A fire set in the wrong place or used in the wrong way is horribly painful and destructive. The same fire that cooks and heals and purifies also burns food. I had that happen yesterday. Got the grill started, put some steaks on, uh, left them a little too long, and I came out and there was a giant grease fire going in my grill, which was so disappointing. <laughs> I can't even tell you, right? And... Uh, we went out to lunch instead. We're just like, you know what? We're tapping out, right? The same fire that cooks also burns. The same fire that heals also takes life. The same fire that warms also warps the things that get too near to it. The same fire that is warm and comfortable in my fireplace would quickly burn down my house if I set it in my kitchen. So the very thing that God has given us for our blessing and to give us many beautiful, wonderful gifts can also be dangerous and destructive. Amen? Now, some of you may already be wondering, what does this have to do with our passage today? But let me assure you, it has everything to do with it. Because our passage speaks to us very bluntly about sex and about the place that it should have in a Christian life. Like a fire, it is a beautiful and glorious gift that is meant to be 
a God-honoring, glorious, enjoyable, let's not forget fun, blessing from God. But sex is also a gift that outside of the right context or used wrongly will usher you into a seat at a banquet full of deep pain and self-destruction and God's judgment. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would have ears to hear this morning both the beautiful truth that God proclaims about the beauty of His creation of our sexuality as well as uh, the destruction that sexual sin brings and then submit ourselves to God's Word in response to every part of these truths. There's beauty and glory and magnificence and, and a fantastic expression of divine creativity. Amen? Um, but there's also pain and judgment and difficulty that you can bring into your life, onto your own self, if you set this fire in the wrong place in the wrong way. And so, um, so I want to read to us what the Lord has to say in this passage. One of the uh, beautiful things about being an expository preacher as you go through the book, uh, is that you can't avoid passages that make you uncomfortable. And so uh, here we are at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And if you would stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able, uh, this is what the Word of God says. Finally then, brothers, we, walk, we, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter because... The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, this is an area about which our culture is obsessed and preaches constantly and loudly a message that the only kind of joy and pleasure to be found here is found in rebellion against you and your word. And Father, we pray that we would, um, we would learn not to think like unbelievers about this, but that we would learn to submit to your beautiful design and experience your beautiful uh, gift in the way that you meant. Whether we're single or whether we're married, Father, help us to, uh, to learn how to honor you with our body, even in the most private parts of our life. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, well, um, just to, just to back up, remember that the Thessalonian church was planted in a matter of a few weeks 
uh, by Paul and Silas and Timothy, and then they got run out of town after a riot. And so uh, they had to get out of there. They weren't able to go into depth and detail about every part of the Christian life and so forth, and the Thessalonians had questions. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy had fears about what was going to happen to this fledgling church that's now come under persecution just weeks after it came into existence. And so they sent Timothy back to give some more instruction. And then later, uh, Timothy came back and gave this great report. These guys are flourishing. Their faith is going great. They love each other. Everything is fantastic about them. But they have some things that they want us to address, some questions. And so, Paul, if you'd write them a letter. And so that's what's going on here in uh, 1 Thessalonians. And you'll notice that this subject is one they have addressed before but one that they are going to give us some clarification on here in these verses. So if you look at the first four verses of uh, this passage, I want to consider them with you one at a time. Verse 1 exhorts uh, us and them, but it's, the point here is for us today to continue to walk and to please God just as Paul and Silas and Timothy had taught them when they were with them. Now the word walk there doesn't, isn't talking about the way you get around on your feet. Okay? Not essential that you be even able to walk in order to serve the Lord. Um, but they are using a New Testament metaphor for how you live. How you live is your walk, if you will. Okay? And, uh, and what he's saying here is this. You've got to continue to live in a way that pleases God because... Our way of life lines up with the biblical commands that we have been given. And not only to continue in the same way we're doing, but to do so, you see what it says here, more and more. Which reminds us, as it reminded them, that the Christian life is not stagnant. It's not static. It doesn't stay in the same place. It's meant to be one of increasing obedience, increasing growth, increasing conformity to God's will and His commands as we mature, as we grow up, right? That just as as you get older, you eat more than when you were little, right? and you grow in that way, uh, in the same way, as you mature in Christ, you continue to grow. And you begin, you begin to look more and more and more like Jesus over time. Now, verse 2 underlines this, reminding the Thessalonians, look, you already know all this. But just in case they've forgotten or we've forgotten, we've got verse 3. And if you haven't done this in your Bible yet, you should do this. I've done this in my Bible. You should underline verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, uh, you know, when I was growing up, one of the conversations people had a lot was, what's the will of God? Okay. Like, how do I know what God's will is? You know, I, you know, and I'm like, read your Bible. It is literally from beginning to end about the will of God for your life, right? But in case you miss it, sometimes the Lord is kind enough to write in, this is God's will for you. <laughs> okay. Your sanctification, and, and he's going to address two areas in this chapter. One about brotherly love, and the other one here about sexual purity. 
And he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Specifically, your sanctification when it comes to sex. So, abstain from sexual immorality. The text says, what does that mean? Let me get, get it really clear. Okay, To abstain means to completely refrain from doing something. Completely refrain. Abstain. Okay? So, for example, if you commit yourself to uh, abstaining from refined sugar, you don't cut back a little. <laughs> okay? You don't go to Dairy Queen only once a week instead of once a day. Right? You, you cut this out of your life. Amen? You cut it out of your life. Uh, you abstain. Sexual immorality, according to your Bible, if I can explain it clearly, is this. Any way of seeking or fulfilling sexual desires outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. So, this is a non-exhaustive list, alright? But let me give you all the things the Bible references specifically. So, any kind of sex with your girlfriend, boyfriend, fiancé. Uh, any kind of one-night stand, pornography, masturbation, adultery, homosexuality, polygamy, polyamory, bestiality, anything else I haven't mentioned that occurs outside of the bounds of one man, one woman marriage covenant is sexual immorality. Okay? And that is the thing that we are to flee from, abstain from, cut out of our life. Okay? Do I know that this is completely the alternative direction from our culture? Yes. Do I understand that it is completely the opposite direction from the natural urges of our body? Yes. Okay, nevertheless, this is, I don't know how to be any more clear than, than the, the Scripture is, this is the will of God for you. Okay? This is the will of God for you that you abstain from sexual immorality. And all these things, by the way, are self-destructive sins. These are fires that will burn and destroy rather than heal and warm and impart God's blessing on your life. Christians do not do these things. Christians do not do these things. And you cannot identify yourself as the sin that you commit. That doesn't work. You can't do that. Right? Uh, I mean, you can't say, well, I'm a drunk Christian. That would be weird, right? Uh, because in that sentence, the adjective modifies the noun. It reshapes the thing you're describing. Right? And so you cannot identify yourself with sin. You identify yourself first with Christ and let Him reshape everything about your life. And this is one of the big areas. This is not some little niggling detail of the Christian life. This is something Paul, in the space of three weeks, as he taught these people about what it means to be a believer, was concerned to address the first time and is concerned to address now a second time in this letter. Uh, these things, God's will is our sanctification, and these things do not sanctify us. They pull us further away from God. In fact, it's not too strong to say this, that as I've been a pastor now 21 years, 
by the peace of God. Okay, no one is less qualified than me, but nonetheless, God has seen fit by His grace to put me in this role. Um, and in that time, I've seen a number of people walk away from their relationship with Jesus. And in about 90% of the cases, do you know the reason why? It is because they have decided to make their sex drive God instead of God. They have desires they cannot literally, they cannot legitimately fulfill within the bounds of obedience to Jesus, and so they decide to punt Jesus and go for that. Okay? Over and over and over and over, and I watch and I warn and I say, don't go down that road. The bridge is out. You will go careening down the chasm. Don't do that. And yet over and over and over, this is a lot of times the area that someone picks that is their self-destruction rather than their joy and satisfaction. Uh, and and so just want to just want to throw that out there because it's important. Okay, this is not some little detail of the Christian life, and it isn't it isn't that this is the main feature of the Christian life either. But it is to say that the stakes are high. Stakes are high. You cannot be sexually immoral and follow Jesus at the same time. Any more than you can serve God in money, you can't serve God in sex. Okay? Now, with all that in mind, look at verse 4. This is another verse that you should highlight in your Bible. Uh, I love verse 4. It continues the thought from verse 3, but it's a stark contrast to it. Instead of all the things we're to avoid, it's what we're supposed to do instead of engaging in sexual immorality. It says that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor. Now, uh, that's how the ESV reads it. Uh, the Greek underlying text says, possess his vessel in holiness and honor. Um, you know, scholars debate as to whether that word means body, uh, you know, how to translate vessel. Some people say, well, it means how to, um, how to be, you know, it, some people actually translate it as wife, right? Uh, that's, that's not the word here. The word, the word there is very, is very general, but it's uh, a euphemism. You know what a euphemism is? It's a word that you use to avoid using the word you mean. And, um, <laughs> and, and the word there, vessel, is a reference to the parts of your body that are covered. Okay? Uh, when you go swimming. How to possess your feminine or masculine portions. Can I say that in church? I think I just did. Um, but <laughs> in any case... The portions of your body that make you a man, make you a woman, are the things that you are to learn how to control in a way that honors God. Which implies that there is a way of using those parts of your body that is both holy and honorable. Right? Now, um, th this is... You know, like, well, what does that mean? How do I do that? And what I want to do there is direct your attention to some passages in the Scripture. Because 
the Lord does not simply prohibit us from engaging in sin. Instead, He invites us into joy. And He says, look, it's not just that I want you to miss out on all of the pain and suffering associated with sin. I want you to experience instead joy and happiness and delight and uh, the, the beauty of my good design. Okay? And in order to do that, you need to turn your attention to elsewhere in Scripture that talks about this. So you might look at, for example, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, that talk about how God made us male and female, and that both male and female reflect the image of God. And that both, both being a woman and being a man is a great and a good and a glorious thing. I know that, again, that's not the message of our culture. Okay? We have people who are like, oh, the only good, the only good thing in life is being a man. Right? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there are people who are like, no, you know, women are the future. The future is female. Love. You know, no. The scripture says being a man, part of the reflection of the image of God. And being a woman, part of the reflection of being in the, in, the, in the image of God, and both are good and beautiful and glorious. Okay? Um, uh, you look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, 21 to 25, about for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the man and his wife were both naked together and unashamed. And part of God's good design is that you be able to be in a relationship where you are completely vulnerable. Naked, body and soul, before this other person. Completely known. Completely vulnerable. And loved at the same time. Safe. Secure. Protected. Honored. In that relationship. Right? Naked and unashamed. Or you could look at Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 23, which uh, is another verse you could highlight. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. I won't quote the rest. Um, but some of you can look it up, right? And see. It's a glorious passage that is about celebrating sexuality and the union of husband and wife. And that this is a good thing and a blessing and something that God, believe it or not, cheers for. You know that? When you and your husband, you and your wife are together enjoying one another in the intimacy of your marriage bed, you know what the Lord does? Woohoo! <laughs> okay? And in fact, you see that in Song of Solomon. By the way, the whole book of Song of Solomon is about the rejoicing of this married couple. And God breaks in on their wedding night and says, Eat and drink deeply, O lovers. He is celebrating and rejoicing in their relationship. Okay? Uh, there are probably a bunch of others I've forgotten about, but Hebrews uh, chapter 13, 4 says, uh, Marriage should be honored among all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 5 talks about. How uh, you have not just the privilege, but the responsibility of caring for one another in your marriage bed. And you have all of these blessings that God announces on uh, the sexual union in the context of marriage. God created this, and He 
uh, blesses it, and He wants us to enjoy it fully in marriage, but only there. Only there. And there's great freedom and fun to be found within your marriage. Okay? So, you know, if you go over to South School, okay, they got all these all these toys on the playground, right? And there's a fence around it. Why? Because they want the people inside the fence to be safe and protected while they enjoy all the things that are provided there for them to enjoy. God is exactly the same way with us. He puts a fence around around this and says within the fence, you can enjoy all the toys. <laughs> all right? And, um, and that's a beautiful, enjoyable, blessed thing. Okay? Um, so... Uh, by the way, if you aren't married, remember this too. You are made in God's image as a man or as a woman, and there is a beauty in that all by itself. There's a beauty in that all by itself. Manhood and womanhood are good and glorious gifts. And remember too, if you are married, that married sex, as good as it is, is a temporary shadow that is meant to point you to higher and better blessings uh, that, are, that will replace it in eternity. Okay? It is not the greatest of all experiences. That is yet to be in eternity. These things that are earthly will be transcended one, one day. Let me give you a, 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 uh, uh, an illustration on this. Okay, Pastor Josh and I were talking about this. Um, this week, I'm trying to figure out how to how to how to give the most explicit sermon I've ever given in my life from the pulpit, okay, and trying to do so in a way that is honorable and brings glory to God at the same time, uh, as is helpful to people and as explicit as Scripture is. And I'm talking about this with Josh, and he said, you know, remember this is a temporary thing; it's not a it's not a permanent thing. I said, yeah, and he said, and this was his illustration. It was beautiful said, you know, when you go to Thanksgiving, like one of the great things about Thanksgiving is that you not only eat the food, but you smell the food before you eat it, right? Like everything's cooking and there's, there's fantastic smells coming out of the kitchen, right? Uh, it's like one of two times a year I eat turkey, all right? I don't really like turkey, but at Thanksgiving, uh, it's fantastic, right? Um you have that turkey cooking, you've got maybe stuffing or mashed potatoes being made, and you're smelling all of this, right? Um, and then you go to the feast. And the feast is much better than the smell. Amen? If you show up late to Thanksgiving, let's say you get there just in time to, for the food, did you miss the smells? Yeah. But did you still get to eat? Yeah. Which would you rather have, <laughs> right? You would rather have the food than the aroma for the for four hours before that, right? In the same way, even if you are single for your entire life, and you say, I'm going to glorify God with my body as a single person, I'm going to miss out on this in this life, guess what you're not going to miss out on? The food. Okay? It's a great blessing. But it's not the ultimate blessing. 
And this is a shadow that will be transcended by the reality that is coming. All right? Um, so, um, nothing you sacrifice in this life to obey God will ever turn out worse for you in the end. Okay? I can promise you that. Nothing you sacrifice in this life is ever going to turn out worse for you in eternity. It's all going to be transcended. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind to obey the Lord. Okay? So, uh, and then also there's a warning, verse 5 and 6, if we don't do this, uh, that encouragement is something we need to bear in mind from verse 4, but verse 5 and 6, there's a warning, then it's strong. Uh, verse 5 says that sexual immorality is characteristic of people who don't know God. That is, unbelievers who live like that. Unbelievers live in slavery to their lust. Christians don't. And then verse 6 underlines the point by giving us two reasons to obey the Lord. First, because when you transgress the Lord's command, you wrong your brother. Now, I should note here that um, the term brother in the, your Bible refers to both brothers and sisters. Okay. Ancient Greek, much like many other modern languages, uh, is a gendered language. Okay, uh, if you learn French or whatever, you'll learn that like the table is masculine and you know the cloth on it is feminine and whatever. You know, it's di different things, right? And and also when you refer to a group of people, you usually refer to them using the masculine. But everybody is meant, right? Uh, in the same way here, everybody is meant. Brother here refers to people of both sexes. We might say brothers and sisters in modern English, but it's implied here. Um, illicit sexual activity often gets cloaked and excused under the veil of alleged love. Right? Oh, I love you, so you should engage in sin with me. Right? But in reality, all sin actually, according to the verse 6 here, harms the other person or the other people uh, with whom you engage in it. Sexual sin is not loving to them. It harms them. You have wronged them by doing that. Not just wronged yourself, but you have wronged them. It's not loving, it's sin. It harms them. And second, because it's a sin against God and the other person, do you see what it says here? That God is an avenger in these things. In other words, God cares about that other person you sinned against. And He seeks to avenge the wrong done to them. You sign up, in other words, for God's discipline to come down hard on you when you wrong someone else in this way. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing entirely to sin knowing you are choosing to disobey God and to use this other person. Let's remember that's what you're doing when you're engaged in sin. You're using the other person. Not loving them. You're using them. And you will reap the consequences of that if you do not repent. Amen? Repentance is always, is always available, but it's always expensive. 
not for God, but for you, right? Because you have to come to the Lord and admit that I messed up here. And that's a humbling thing to do. And until you repent, the Lord is an avenger in these things. And the Scripture says here, this is a solemn warning. It's one that they have all heard before. It's one we have all heard before. But we do well to heed it because the Lord has repeated it a number of times. Right? Um, Now, uh, so there's a warning, but also... uh, Check out the encouragement in verse 7 and verse 8. Um, what you have is kind of a sandwich, right? You've got encouraging instruction, first couple of verses, 1 to 3. You've got, here's the glory of what obeying God looks like, verse 4. And then you get on the other side of the sandwich, uh, <laughs> warning and more encouragement, right? Um, and this... this uh, this conclusion here, verse 7 to 8, is, is just additional encouragement and exhortation reminding us that God saves us and empowers us for holiness. Verse 7 is about the purpose for which God saves us. He did not save us so that we could sin safely. Right? God did not save you from sin, death, and hell so that you could have a get-out-of-jail-free card and continue to live in sin. God saved you that He might make you holy, that He might make you look like Jesus, that you might no longer live in sin. Right? And so, He saved you for holiness. Uh, Verse 7 is about that, about the purpose. He saved you to make you look like Jesus, to exhibit His character as God's children all should. Verse 8 is another reminder that this is not an option for us. If you decide to disregard these commands about sexual immorality and directing your sexual energy exclusively toward your mate if you're married and abstaining entirely from expressing it if you aren't and submitting them all to God regardless of your marital state, then you aren't just disregarding some man-made rule. Right? Paul didn't, in other words, Paul didn't make this up. This is the Word of God. You're saved for holiness, not for sin. You were given the Holy Spirit further to empower your obedience to the Word of God given to you by the Spirit of God. So, you must pay attention and obey. Amen? Now, uh, at, the, at the risk of beating a thoroughly deceased horse, uh, let me make sure that we all understand clearly how to obey this. Okay? Uh, if you are sinning in this area, And by the way, sin in this area is very, very common. And people who who get ensnared by it a lot of times feel deep shame and incredible guilt and at the same time they don't know how to get free. Okay? Let me just encourage you. This is you and you're trapped and ensnared that the Lord loves you with an everlasting love that He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for this very thing and to set you free from it. Amen? And so you do not need to fear and hang your head in shame and kind of scuff your feet and maybe you know, feel like, well, if I, I, I suppose I can confess my sin, but only if I walk a Girl Scout across the street first. 
and uh, you know, buy some cookies and popcorn. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't have to do that. What you have to do is bring that nasty bag of sin you've been carrying around and leave it at Jesus' feet. And say to Him, Father, I have sinned against You and I am so sorry and I have wounded this person and I am so sorry. Will You please forgive me? Will You set me free from this and help me to live according to Your Word by Your Holy Spirit's power? And then commit yourself to turning around and going the other direction. That's what repentance means. To turn around. Okay? I have great compassion for you. I've shared some of my story before. Some of you all know I got ensnared in some stuff as a teenager that held me captive for a decade after that. I have great compassion for you. But you don't have to live there. And you don't need to. And you'll be set free if you don't. Um, if your sin has a strong hold on you, let me just say this, okay? Give you some Scripture on it, but also an encouragement to do what the Scripture says about it. Get yourself in a group of other sinners who are committed to pursuing holiness. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with... Isn't that beautiful? Along with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. We got lots of groups in our church. I encourage you to join one. Some of the most helpful groups that we have going are ones where people, either men or women, get honest with each other and say, you know what? Here's what's going on in my life. And it's terrible, and I'm captive to it, and I can't get free of it, and I need help. I want to pursue holiness and walk with Jesus. Will you help me? And we get people in those kind of groups, and they do. They pursue holiness out of a pure heart. And they experience growth in righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with their brothers and sisters. Amen? Um, as you make disciples, remember our mission. Right on top of our bulletin at the front. If, you have, if you've forgotten. What's our mission? Make disciples. Who make disciples. Who make disciples. Amen? So as you make disciples... This is a mission-critical area of discipleship. If you do not address this with the people that you disciple, the world will disciple them the other way. Satan preaches very effectively on this. Okay? So, older women should teach the younger women how to love their husbands in this area. How to glorify God with your body as a single person. Older men should teach the younger guys how to glorify God in their marriage bed. How to be godly as single men. One of the things I loved uh, that Karen did uh, our former church, uh, we'd had, we had a whole bunch of um, young women who were getting married. And I'm talking, when I say younger women, I mean like 19, 20, 21, getting married, and they had no clue what was going on with reference to this area. And so Karen and some of the other older women, like the ones who were about you know, 29, um, would get together with these gals. By the way, that's not a joke, okay? If you are older than somebody, you're an older woman, okay? And, um, and if, you have, if you have wisdom to share from God's Word in this area, they would take these gals aside, they'd have a party for them, and, uh, and celebrate what's about to happen on their 
on their uh, wedding night and, and the honeymoon and all that. Uh, cheer for them, etc., which is godly. Okay? And then, and then they would say, all right, shoot, ask us all the questions you want to know. And, and welcome these young ladies into the fraternity of women who love their husbands with their bodies. Okay? And, and it was a phenomenal ministry to these young ladies. Right? They're like, thank you. Um, and of course, their husbands, thank you. Right? Um, but uh, this was... This is a this is an area of discipleship that's important, okay? And as you disciple people, you got to get into this. All right. Uh, if you're married, learn how to rejoice in God's sex. It is a good gift given for your blessing, and part of learning how to control your body in holiness and honor is in joyfully giving the gift of your body to your husband or your wife in a way that pleases and glorifies God. Okay. Uh, if you're single, rejoice in the reality that the sacrifice you are making today is gaining for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond its price now. Nothing you sacrifice today to obey God will fail to be replaced by something much better for eternity. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Lastly, regardless of your marital state, submit all your sexuality to the Lord and His Word. Because, by the way, when you get married, the temptations for stuff that you shouldn't engage in don't necessarily go away. And so you're still going to have to submit your desires and your body to the Lord, recognizing that His Word is authoritative over you and over me, that the Father has saved us for holiness, and that the Spirit has been given to dwell within us to enable us to obey God here. Amen? All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Um, God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You give us both warning and encouragement, uh, that You avenge sin and also place great blessing and take great joy in the creativity You have given us uh, in our in our marriage beds, if we have them, and, and, and Father, that You call all of us, singles, married, men, women, to experience the joy and delight of Your good design as men and women, uh, and to submit all of our distinctive maleness and femaleness and the desires that we have uh, to You and to Your Word. And Father, um, we pray that... Uh, that You would be glorified with our bodies, that we would conduct ourselves in holiness and honor, not in lust like people who don't know God, but in holiness and honor we might celebrate the good gifts You've given us, rejoice in them, and avoid the traps that Satan sets for us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's